Hello, in this episode, the International Relations Council sat down with UC Berkeley students and asked for their opinions on whether the UN should exist or not. Also, a special shout out if you're listening to this at Calapalooza and are thinking about joining our club. Alright, so we're here with Annalisa. Uh, do you have any opinions on whether the UN should exist? I mean, I at least like the idea of something like the UN existing. I don't know if it has to be the UN itself, but... So what does that mean for you exactly? What would your ideal international organization be? I think it would have to give all countries a legitimate ability to have an influence on agreements. It would not be... The countries that helped found it or that historically had power on the global stage should not have structural power in the organization outside of like you know how they get from their population like i don't think you should get historical buy-in how would you go about ensuring that like so would you want to abolish the security council because you talked about not wanting those historical buy-in countries to have that power i don't know if you need to abolish the security council but you would probably at least want to change the membership structure i don't think that giving russia and the u.s essentially veto power makes a lot of sense. I think that that doesn't, that's just a historical consequence as opposed to something well thought out, tight. Thank you. Um, Yeah, okay. That's certainly an interesting perspective. Uh, You also talked about wanting more of an ability for countries to make, to be represented in it. How would you go about uh, making that change? I think that would require me to have a lot more understanding of the structure of the UN than I currently do, which I think is the main issue there. Okay. I think there would have to be some way, I don't know, maybe some sort of structure that would allow countries to form coalitions with other countries that have similar concerns and like economic structures as they do sure so structures like smaller multinational structures rather than international structures so or even just smaller multinational structures within the UN okay so there'd be like a coalition of like EU nations per se or like NATO countries well see the EU essentially already like they already have that because they are the EU so I'm sorry say that one more time I'm saying, like, I guess that is what I'm saying. Like, the EU already sort of has that down. Okay. So, are you saying there's no need for the UN on that basis? No, no. I think that, I don't know. I don't know if I can endorse just creating more EUs for different geographic areas, but I don't know. Maybe that could counterbalance a little bit. So, like, a little, like, a stronger African Union and then, like, a Union of East Asian States or, like, something along those lines kind of thing. Do you think that maybe runs the risk of, like, more kind of Western hegemony because they're not, like, in the structure of the UN, at least in theory, an equal vote is given to Bolivia as is given to France. Uh, If you had this kind of multinational, this collection of multinational organizations, do you think that that power balance might not be maintained in the same way? I think the power balance would definitely shift. I just think... I I would hope that the power given to countries in any international organization like the UN would correlate with, you know, a country's, like, population with a little bit of balancing to make sure that countries that historically were disempowered could not get pushed around by countries like the US, Russia, China, whatever, the larger powers. Okay, so that sounds like a very innovative solution to weigh it based on population. I think that there are some benefits to doing that uh, when you think about like, because at the end of the day what you are representing in any government is people. And if you have a way that helps the most amount of people secure their national interest, an argument certainly could be made for that. Uh, Yeah, my inclination is to say that just because, but I think I'm thinking of it from like, 
a domestic democracy perspective, which is probably not the same sort of... The same incentive structures don't exist in international. That's why I'm not For sure. totally sold on this population-based question I've thrown out there. That's a sensible argument for sure. I think that an argument could be made that if we do this representation based on population uh, proposal, people might feel more connected to their country's uh, international relations seat because that seat is granted to them on the basis of the people. Uh, do you think that that could... And also having, like, if you're in a country with a billion people, you get a thousand representatives if we're doing the one million to one situation. Um, do you think that could encourage democratic participation in foreign affairs and international relations? I sort of hope so. And I think that there's a lot of potential for an organization like the UN to do more sort of global policy making as opposed to, I know significantly less about like the security aspect. And I think that if the UN had a beefed up ability to set like meaningful global regulations for example and it was a little more of a democratic process people got people were more excited about electing their political representatives to the UN maybe that would have an impact but who's to say there's also there's a lot more um, people have strong opinions or strong um, sentiments toward the United Nations and countries where you see organizations like the Blue Helmets and other UN affiliates on the ground more so uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, there's a lot of people who are really interested in the UN and stuff like that. Do you think having more kind of like a better funded, more powerful UN that can have people on the ground in more places um, and those kind of things might encourage people to pay more attention to foreign affairs and those kind of things? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that people in countries like the US have almost no interaction with international organizations despite the fact that their countries are dominant in the decision-making for those international organizations which is a little bit strange for sure so in conclusion would you say like for or against the existence of the United Nations yeah to pick uh, one I'm going for I like the vibes of international cooperation okay. a lot status I, quo. I it's not even the status quo I just like the idea of an international organization it doesn't have to be the UN it could be some hypothetical other okay. organization so it sounds like maybe not exist but something exists with that structure Sure. I just want something with we are the world energy. Okay. We are the children, etc. I I does not have to be the UN, but I want I want something like that. Most definitely. I definitely see where you're coming from on that. Thank you. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Or? No, I you've tapped all of my knowledge about the UN and foreign relations. There's none left. I see. Alright, well thank you so much for participating, everyone. That was Annalisa with her opinions on the UN that are going to show up on every transcript and every public Hell thing yeah. that ever connects to her life. So Excellent. Thank you for that. I stand by these comments so much. Alright, so do you want to say your name? For the yeah, hello, my name is Maya. Alright, hi Maya. Do you have any opinions whether the UN should exist? Um, yeah, it's a pretty controversial topic. Um, it's kind of hard to say whether like I would sway one way or the other just because the UN, you know, is intended to be this like international body, um, which you know enforces standards onto states throughout the world, whether it's on like human rights or like trade laws or things like that. Um, but you know, all of those are good causes, but they have basically no enforcement mechanisms, and states oftentimes don't have incentives to comply with those like mechanisms, and so like because of that. Um, it's like virtually ineffective when it comes to like enforcing international law 
But I do have to say that like the UN is responsible for like documenting a lot of really important um, like things in different states. So, like they'll document human rights violations. They'll document like what's going on in different states, and they have like commissions um, which kind of check up on states. Um, and you know, oftentimes those commissions can provide recommendations to states as to like whether or not they should be like doing certain things to improve conditions in their countries. But again, it's just a recommend recommendation. Like they can just be like, "Hey, you should be doing this," but like they're they toothless. They're tooth exactly. They're toothless. All bark, no bite. <laughs> Do you think they should have a bite? Like instinctively, want to say yes. I just don't really know how that would happen. <laughs> um, like I've heard people talk about like an international like military force. I really have no idea what that would look like. They do have like, um, what are they called? Peacekeepers. Peacekeepers, yeah. They have UN peacekeepers, which have been proven to like help um, with like certain situations in different countries, but oftentimes it is like kind of like to maintain the peace instead of like like actually enforce things, you know, in those countries. And like they also have to be like neutral in those countries, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the times they can't even shoot, like during the Rwandan genocide, yeah. they were able to shoot their weapons. And then, off, and then because like they weren't they like withdrawn as well? Yeah, because, because they wanted to like maintain the safety of the peacekeepers. Well, because the UN peacekeepers aren't controlled by the UN; they're contributed by member states. Mm -hmm. Which ninety percent of the time, the UN policy is that like in a colonial country, yeah. in a former colonial country, the former colonizer has to contribute the soldiers. So the Belgians had to send in troops right. into Rwanda. Right. Belgians didn't want people to keep dying, so they just pulled them out. Right. And the UN had nothing. Yeah, so, I mean, there you go again, is like another issue with like their enforcement mechanisms, um, yeah. or lack thereof. Um, it's hard to, you know, everyone wants to believe in the UN, they want to believe in like their unifying force, especially after like, post like World War II. It's just kind of hard to like, when you don't really see them being able to actually enact any of what they say they're going to do. So, yeah, you mentioned earlier that you liked a lot of the stuff that the UN does, vis-a-vis yeah. -vis, like monitoring stuff and collecting information, right. but that you thought probably entirely correctly that they're completely toothless and actually getting nation states to do things. Right. Do you think the UN should continue to have this ambition of corralling nation states and bringing the world together? Or should they just drop that and concentrate on the area which they actually can do? Right. Which is, you know, supporting NGOs, collecting information. I think it's important, like, the work that they do in terms of documentation is important because it allows, like, oftentimes the reports that they, like, and the data that they gather is used then by domestic institutions to kind of, like, name and shame the states, I guess, and, like, pressure the states to into complying with, like, certain treaties or, like, things that are happening. So, in that sense, it's, like, it, it is important, you know, it does... The documentation does have effect, but not directly through like UN mechanisms. It's just used by like domestic and sometimes international like other NGOs and institutions to like kind of be like, here we have proof that you're like violating these laws um, and like kind of pressuring the state to change, um, or like even kind of like it's kind of giving power to the people because oftentimes you know the public does not have like access to information about like you know or like really hard like raw facts about like what's going on um, and like it helps them also find like their own individual justice I guess um, so I would as, as skeptical as I am I would say that like they should continue to like document and monitor situations and do you think they should just concentrate on that and just say okay this is all we're gonna be able to do let's just do this as best we can or do you think they should keep trying to have the general assembly and all the other functions which they try to do to try and keep the original mission in 1945 which was peace between worlds like should they just drop all of that or should right. they still continue to have that as like a quasi-symbolic yeah that's a hard question um because especially right now like with what's going on in russia and like ukraine we're seeing how like useless some of those <laughs> mechanisms are um 
But, you know, on the other hand, I do think it's important in terms of, like, they are setting international norms, whether or not states, like, choose to comply or not. Um, that is something that did not exist before, like, World War II. Like, there were no international standards for human rights. Like, they're putting those things into writing. Whether or not states comply, like, that those norms now exist. Um, and that's, like, important, I think, for just, like, general global progression <laughs> towards, like, peace. Um, so, I think... It's just, it's such a hard question because I want, like, I want it to be more effective, but um, I think it's just frustrating, but at the end of the day, they are setting those international standards, and that's what's important. Thank you very much. So, do you think the United Nations should continue to exist? Uh, I'm of the opinion that, I mean, it's not a question I've thought hugely about, but from my understanding, I don't per particularly believe that the United Nations should exist when it comes to international groups the or like conferences of you know multiple nations i'm a big supporter of the bandung conference which took place in the 60s which was more focused on like peripheral countries countries that kind of are more in the periphery or historically have been in the periphery so i i genu genuinely generally tend to be skeptical of the united nations because for me like for example the un security council the countries that are on it i don't you know i don't necessarily think of them as peripheral countries you know they tend to be like major powers um and so for that reason i like i think the un can be somewhat coercive to countries who may have like um resources that the bigger powers may want um, to extract so that that's why I, I i'm kind of skeptical of the united okay, nations first perspective we've had that's like that. So your perspective on the UN is that you dislike it because you think that the Security Council, which is the part of the UN that actually has, you know, power, power. has exclusive seats for the most powerful countries. Yeah. Therefore, they have a dis disproportionate level of power regarding, relative to, say, African or... Asian. Or Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that, I, I'm kind of of that belief and, like, you know, I, I think that there's general there's a fight for hegemony now. Um, I, I think, and you know, there's been like a, a, a sort of a painting that it's the West versus you know uh, countries like Iran, China, and Russia. Um, and I, you know, there's been that narrative, and I think the existence of the UN for me kind of I don't think there's much a competition between those like those two blocks so much as there's like a cooperation between those two blocks within the UN to sort of suppress other like smaller countries. So like that's why generally I tend to be skeptical of the UN. Yeah, I, I just generally tend to be skeptical of any like any group that tends to give power to like bigger. I you know bigger is a poor word. I, I mean I mean to say like historically capital has flowed to those countries and you know resource extraction has gone from you know peripheral countries to like the US, UK, China and Russia and so like that's generally why. Yeah and France which still and still France. sits on the Security Council right, even France, though no one yeah. knows why. <laughs> I um I, I I you know it's interesting because the the BRICS block yeah. um is like you know countries specifically like brazil and india i think you know maybe less so hegemonic powers such as the u.s france russia china but like still uh, you know i'm still generally not supportive of the united nations okay yeah 
So, do you think that the UN, despite its what you would consider not not imperialist exactly, but extractive tendencies? Well, I, I would. I mean, you I would characterize as imperialist. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that they're an imperialist entity on their own, but they sort of act as a front for imperialism to some extent. Okay. Yeah. So, do you think that despite any imperialist tendencies, the UN hat does actually perform valuable functions, or is what they do entirely a front? Yeah. No. 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 I think they do perform valuable functions. I think just the ability to gather peripheral countries like you know for example like Bolivia or the like countries the, yeah, or Bolivia India. or India or you know Indonesia or Philippines just to be oh thank you <laughs> just to be able to gather them in one block and have give them the ability to voice their grievances grievances I think is good but in the end what ends up happening is like you know there's obviously a group of countries that does have more power in the UN than others and like that is undeniable but I do I will say the UN is good in that like these people have a stage at least they have like you know it's not just like the G7 for example which is like a clearly like yeah it's a exclusively a block you know where like country like other countries don't really have the option to at least voice their concerns but you know one thing I like about the UN and the General Assembly is like you know the president of Mexico has ability to speak you know and everyone has to listen to them speak or you know maybe like Venezuela or Bolivia or something you know Philippines so like in that sense yeah I think I, I have I, I think the UN allows for that sort of dialogue while the decision-making may be skewed Maybe that's one thing that I would say the UN is good. So do you think that there's a way to reform the UN that would be more in line with well, what the organization should be? I think the the only way to reform the UN would really be... Like, the reformation of the UN comes, I guess, when the relations of imperialism are broken. You know, along the world. Like, in the world, you know, if these relations are broken, then and countries are able to actually come together and you know without there sort of being some power imbalance then yeah i think it's possible but so you think using the problem with the un that exists is a basic structural problem with the way power dynamics in the world operate and there's no way to create a un where those structural dynamics wouldn't exist yeah i, I think it's it sort of it it's baked into it. yeah it's baked into it that being said you know i don't believe that it's impossible for like you know the power dynamics to be changed i just think that it'll probably reflect the conditions of inevitably yeah inevitably okay inevitably. so all right um you have anything else you'd like to add no that's it thanks right. thanks, thanks very much yeah. thank you have a good one y'all yeah. uh hello my name is griffin nice to meet you it's nice to meet you so do you think the united nations should exist um fundamentally yeah i think so so fundamentally, I take yeah. it that means you have some complaints about how it operates? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think a big complaint that everyone has is um, whether or not the UN can be very effective on the goals that it, you know, seeks to, that it seeks to, um, you know, achieve. And it doesn't have a lot of teeth in that way. But the question of whether or not it should exist at all, I think, is different than whether or not it's, it's very... You know, it's super effective right now. Um, so I think fundamentally it should exist. Of course, there are things that it could be doing differently or better. So what if what do you think the UN should do? Why do you think it's important for it to exist? Like, what functions do you think it's important for the UN to perform? Um, yeah, I think it's really important for the UN to 
help establish a framework, like a common framework, whereby um, people from all over the world, um, representatives from all over the world, can come together and kind of condemn or support issues. And having that like shared framework, that common framework that people can like engage with, um, agree with or disagree with, it, is really important. And that's kind of what the UN has now, is just whether or not um, the follow-through on that, what the UN can do, is you know kind of kind of limited. So what would you like to see change in the UN? Like, what do you think they should be able to do in order to allow for them to have more teeth, as you put it? Um, I think it's a really complicated question, um, because I think giving the UN more teeth can also make it so that, obviously, the UN can be used in ways that maybe not everyone would think, maybe not everyone would like. Um, and the UN being kind of a very, almost decentralized, like, very uh, power-sharing structure that it is now, it can lead to a lot of it can prevent the UN from doing bad things, but also, of course, prevent it from doing good things. Yeah, I don't know, so I think it's a really tough question. So, like, would you support the creation of a UN army, a permanent standing UN army, as opposed to the contributed peacekeepers that they have right now? I'm not sure, I, I would have to think a lot about that. My first instinct is probably not. Um, yeah, I think I think most likely not, but I would have to think more about that. Fair enough. Yeah. And then, so one of the things people who come here have complained a lot about has been the Security Council, mm. the basic structure of the Security Council, which is that U.S., Russia, China, the United yeah. Kingdom, and then weirdly France, sure. all have guaranteed seats and veto anything else, and then 15 other countries are elected to have all their seats. Yeah, they have all the votes. The five permits can veto anything. Yeah, yeah. Do you think the structure makes sense, or do you want to change the Security Council? Um, I think the Security Council probably could work in a better way, especially, uh, you know, earlier this year with, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, the UN Council is talking about the invasion, and Russia's, you know, there, and they can kind of, you know, veto, <laughs> like, the topic about them, yeah. So I think maybe, again, I think this is really complicated, and I have to think a lot about it uh, and do more research, but I think the, uh, the idea that, you know, just one country can kind of veto anything is uh, probably harmful, I think. Okay, so you wouldn't like to get rid of that veto structure. And then, so you mentioned earlier, you think the function the UN should perform, fundamentally, should be about uh, coordination and organizing. It should be for a place where the majority of countries in the world, or some other state like that, could indicate this is what we think is a good norm, this is what we think is a bad norm. Yeah. Do you think that there are other functions the UN should probably have? Because when it was originally created, it was mostly to be a mechanism to prevent conflict, and nowadays it's mostly just mm. something that helps non-governmental organizations. Mm. So do you think it should contain those, a lot of those other functions, or do you think the UN should specifically be like a venue for declarative diplomacy? I think when it does, like you said, declarative diplomacy, I think it supports all of those other functions indirectly, if that makes sense. It supporting, you know, norms for various issues um, indirectly supports all of those other functions that it could take on, um, if, if that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, I think for the most part, it it being focused on creating common, shared, agreed-upon norms that um, are kind of present no matter where you go in the world. Like, one example would be, like, labor rights, um, I think is would be good for it to continue being its primary purpose. So, do you think the UN should continue to have, like, UNESCO as a subordinate organization? Or, like, their food and water organizations? Or their, like, population reviews? Or the UN technically has the World Bank inside of it. It's weak as hell, but technically. I think, I think so, because those organizations being inside of it helps it perform those those goals of having a shared and common framework. Okay. Yeah. Alright, um, anything else you'd like to add? Or? Uh, I think, no, that's it for me. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yep. So, um, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us your name and major if you don't mind it? You can also remain anonymous.
Sure, I like to tell my name. My name is Justin McGrath. I'm a fourth year rhetoric major. Right. Do you think the United Nations should exist? See, that's a, in my mind, a global organization like the United Nations has its merits in terms of international cooperation, and at the very least a forum for nations to discuss things outside of individual treaties. However, I think the United Nations has a lot of problems, and I would say it shouldn't exist as long as there were some other body to replace it, but as of right now, it's all we got. Can you name some of the problems that you think the United Nations have? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, in terms of a global organization, it lacks, in my mind, any real effective political power. Um, it has no real monetary power, military strength is kind of non-existent, and it has no, really the most pressing thing to me is it has no way to actually enforce any regulations or restrictions it places on countries, other than, you know, getting a coalition together of the Security Council or whoever else can be involved to, you know, enforce things, but, um, there's also just kind of, in, from what I've, from what I understand, like the bureaucracy of the United Nations is kind of corrupt at uh, more local levels, and I don't know. I just think there's not much oversight for what should be a global oversight uh, organization. If you're concerned about United Nations not having enough power to mm -hmm. actually do things, do you think having a um, its own standing army will be a solution, or will it just lead to more problems? That's a that's a tough one because I think it it I could see that going both ways. I think that having a standing army that is like an international coalition <laughs> would potentially be helpful because as long as the standing army is you know responsible to the entire general assembly of the nations. I could see it being a problem were it mainly cons constituted by members of the Security Council or like even just like the US and China and I'm trying to think of other large militaries. I think another problem with the United Nations is that a lot of the resources are contributed by a few players within the General Assembly, which kind of invalidates the viewpoints and agency of a lot of other countries, member, member nations. So, you know, I think it could be useful, but it would need to definitely be have some heavy oversight from not just the Security Council. So I think one of the main concerns about the United Nations is that even though it does give smaller nations a platform to share their opinions, but in the end, people think like it's still that the larger nations that mm -hmm. are actually making decisions, right. especially with the veto power yeah. in the Security Council. So do you think the United Nations should maybe switch up the veto power system, have different nations in it, or repeal it altogether? Or some other way to give smaller nations more influence? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a good way of kind of going about it. Like, maybe the veto power should rest with the entire General Assembly, or similar to like the, con well, I don't know if Congress, I believe Congress has a veto power. It's been a while since I took a poli-sci class. Um, but, yeah, I think giving veto power either to the General Assembly or maybe the, the Secretary General. Is the Secretary General elected by the Council or is it appointed? Uh, General Assembly and confirmed by the Security Council. Okay. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think, like, they're... The Security Council, in my mind, if it does continue to exist, should probably be expanded and have a more consistent rotation 
um, you know, it it would it might be nice to have all members of the council rotate and not just have the core it, five on the council. Um, but then again, you know, that that does same, run into the same issue of like, would that even be possible if? Like, it would require, like, if the U.S. is giving a bunch of resources still, like, they're never going to, in my mind, they're not going to want to relinquish their seat on the Security Council um, and give, like, a constant rotation. But I feel like, as it is now, Security Council has the most power, and given that there should be more countries rotating through, otherwise the power should be given to the body that's the General Assembly that actually you know, consists of the voices of every nation. One of the um, more positive aspects of the United Nations is that it has a lot of humanitarian groups, such mm -hmm. as UNICEF. Um, if, let's say, hypothetically, UN no longer exists, do you think it would be possible for other volunteer organizations, other nonprofit, to fill in this gap, or do you think there should um, like these UN or humanitarian organizations should still um, remain as a player. I could see other groups come stepping in to fill the void. Um, I certainly think you know groups like UNICEF do a lot of do a lot of good work, and potentially they could exist separately from the nations were to dissolve. Because I, I I like went to the United Nations in high school, but I can't like the headquarters, but I can't remember if the. Like they taught, they told us all about UNICEF. Is UNICEF funded? It's like donations along with. Does, did they actually get any money from the General Assembly and like the member? I think countries? it does, but it also um, accept um, like donations yeah. from the general public. Yeah. So I mean, in that regard, it's like maybe we could assume that money would flow from the absence of UNICEF to other organizations. But I could also see UNICEF. I think. Like, I'm not even sure how many people know that UNICEF is, like, directly tied to the UN. Yeah, I think it has enough clout on its own to remain as an organization. Like, I mean, I always associate it with, with like, soccer teams that had on their jerseys, and I didn't even know it was part of the UN until I went there, which is a little ignorant of me, but, you know. All right, um, here's our last question. Okay. The UN peacekeepers, um, apart from having the reputation of being kind of useless, yeah. historically and also in recent years, they also faced many allegations about sexual abuse problems, and in many yeah. of the cases, the victims are minors. Mm -hmm. So, one of the main problems with policing this issue is that UN staff and um, peacekeeping members they're given immunity in the country that they are deployed yeah. and so that if an accusation is made um, the local justice system is unable to prosecute those members but instead it have to rely on these members nation country to go through the prosecution if they ever do right so do you think this immunity should be repealed and on top of that how can the UN um, further prevent such tragedies from happening in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's like a really complicated issue for sure, but I think at, at, a, at a base level, I do think that the peacekeepers should not have immunity in the countries that they are um, peacekeeping in. Because, I mean, how can you really be responsible to the nation and the people that you're trying to serve if they have no way to keep you accountable? Because, like, as we've seen, like the system where it is in place, like the, the countries that the peacekeepers are from have to be responsible for them, right? But that's just not really happening, right? Um, especially with the diplomatic community. Like I feel like if you're going to be a general volunteer, that could come from, you know, 
unfortunately there are tensions between various countries around the world and like you could be assigned in a country where maybe you were raised to not really vibe with those people like I've heard stories of peacekeepers in Africa that are recruited from one country where there's ethnic tension wherever they're stationed and then you know abuses take place exchanging food and, and you know necessary resources for sexual favors like you said and I mean it's 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 terrible and like really goes against everything the United Nations stands for and it's just really inhumane so I think diplomatic immunity should not be offered to these peacekeepers and moreover um, I don't know what the training process is thus far, the vetting process, but maybe there could be more just oversight in, in like really looking into these people as they, when they volunteer, making sure they're up to the task and not in it for the wrong reasons. And then within that, like maybe just having some an, another oversight, overseeing body present along with the peacekeepers that are not like peacekeepers themselves, but another level of the United Nations that can like a third party. Yeah, like a third party that. Um, people can report to if there's issues that is not going to be biased because it's like if you're reporting to the peacekeepers who are they going to side with right yeah. uh, <laughs> always prepare for today um do you have any questions for us or other comments that you just want to talk about relating to this topic if there is one thing that you could change about the united nations what would it be if it's one thing that i can change um i think the by permanent members of the Security Council is based because it was chosen based on the historical winners of World War II. Right. And I think it is outdated and when we look back right now it's kind of an arbitrary choice. Yeah. I think whether if it's changing it to not have it at all or make it based on like maybe the economic powerhouse in the um, globe which would include like Germany and Japan or maybe we change it to based on political power, military power, like any of those choices would make more sense than what we have to do. Yeah, just sticking with like, it's almost like just tradition at this point, mm -hmm. right? yeah. like, which is, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for talking with You're us today. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. Shout out to Tiffany. <laughs>